Hey, history enthusiasts, you get not one, but two events in history today. On with the show. Greetings, everyone. Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was June 25th, 1848. In Paris, during the June Day's uprising, a French photographer named Charles-Francois Thibault took the first photograph used to illustrate a newspaper report. The June Day's uprising occurred after the French Second Republic instituted democratic reforms. One such reform was the creation of the National Workshops, which provided work for the unemployed. But a new assembly of mainly moderates and conservatives was elected, and they shut down the national workshops. Employed and unemployed workers, students, and other supporters joined up to protest workers being cut off the state payroll and the rolling back of radical social reforms. On June 22, 1848, protesters staged a demonstration against the government's decree that 18 to 24-year-olds in the workshops had to join the army, and older people had to join public works projects. And on the 23rd, the so-called June Days uprising began when barricades went up in many working-class sections of the city. The National Guard was sent to Paris to stop the rioting. General Louis-Lugin Cavignac used artillery against the barricades, and after just four days of conflict, the uprising had ended and the working-class movement had been suppressed. More than 10,000 Parisians were arrested, of which several thousand were exiled to Algeria as punishment. Several thousand troops and Parisians were killed. During this uprising, photographer Charles-Francois Thibault took three daguerreotypes, two on June 25th and the other on the morning of June 26th. A daguerreotype invented by Louis Daguerre in 1839 is a photographic image on a silver-plated sheet of copper. Thibault took the photos from 94 Rue du Faubourg du Temple, a home owned by a market gardener named Jean-Pierre Pivet. Thibault also stayed in that house in 1848 and 1849. The first two photos Thibault took show a deserted street, the Rue du Faubourg du Temple, with barricades at intersections. In one of them, a woman in a white hat named Pauline Pompon appears to look at the photographer from a nearby window. In the other, the woman is not at the open window. The photo taken on the 26th is blurrier, but shows the same street with cannons, soldiers, and shopkeepers present after General Lamaricière's attack. He took the photo from a rooftop above the street. Woodcuts were made from the image, including the woman and the one taken on the 26th, and those wood engravings were published alongside a story about the uprising in the weekly newspaper L'Illustration in early July. The engravings were also published in a special issue of Journée Illustrée de la Révolution de 1848 in August of that year. The images are considered the earliest photos to accompany a newspaper report. Before photographs existed, news articles were accompanied by illustrations, but early on, photographers deemed news events worthy of capturing. Hermann Biot, known for his photos of Hamburg, Germany, after it was destroyed by a fire in May of 1842, took what are considered some of the first ever photographs of a news event. And in April of 1848, the newspaper Illustrated London News printed two daguerreotypes. 
the Musée d'Orsay in Paris purchased two of Thibault's daguerreotypes at a Sotheby's auction in 2002. The other was donated to the Carnavalet Museum in 1934. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you haven't gotten your fill of history after listening to today's episode, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. And if you are so inclined, you can listen to a new podcast I host called Unpopular, which is about people in history who resisted the status quo and were persecuted for it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. Hey, y'all, I'm Eves, and welcome to This Day in History class, a podcast for people who truly believe that you learn something new every day. The day was June 25th, 1978. The rainbow flag, made specifically to represent the LGBTQ community, was flown for the first time at the San Francisco Gay Freedom Day Parade. Over the years since its creation, the rainbow flag has become an international symbol both to celebrate LGBTQ pride and in the fight for LGBTQ rights. The rainbow flag was designed by Gilbert Baker. Born in 1951 in Chinook, Kansas, Baker gravitated toward art and fashion design at a very young age. He was drafted into the United States Army in 1970, where he experienced a significant amount of homophobia. Eventually stationed in San Francisco as an army medic, he found a sense of community there in the burgeoning post-Stonewall gay rights movement. He decided to stay in San Francisco after his honorable discharge from the military. Baker designed banners for various pro-gay and anti-war protests. Over time, people began suggesting that Baker design and create a symbol specifically for the gay and lesbian rights movement. Until that point, many people used pink triangles as a pride symbol. During World War II, Nazis used pink triangles to mark suspected gay males in concentration camps. And the gay community had reclaimed the symbol as a symbol of pride. But many people were calling for a new original symbol to represent the gay rights movement. One such person was Harvey Milk, who was a friend of Baker's. Milk had recently been sworn in as the first openly gay elected official in California. Baker felt that the different colors of the rainbow represented the variety of people and sexualities that made up the LGBTQ community. The original flag consisted of eight stripes, with each symbolizing something different. He assembled a group of around 30 volunteers who died and sewed the flags at a laundromat and a gay community center. On June 25, 1978, the flag was raised in the United Nations Plaza in San Francisco for the Gay Freedom Day Parade. The flag gained even more notice by the public a few months later, when Harvey Milk was assassinated at San Francisco City Hall on November 27th. Demand for the flag skyrocketed in the wake of the assassination. The Paramount Flag Company in San Francisco began mass-producing the flag. As demand increased, the flag went through a few different iterations. The color hot pink was removed from the flag design since it was too hard to find for mass production. And red became the top stripe, which was consistent with a rainbow in nature. Turquoise was later dropped and the rainbow flag became the sixth stripe design most commonly seen today. The flag has also been the subject of controversy. In 1989, John Stout, a resident of West Hollywood, sued his landlord for attempting to prohibit him from flying the flag on his balcony. Stout won the lawsuit. 
in 2004 as a form of protest against the Australian government's refusal to recognize same-sex marriages, a group of LGBTQ activists planted the rainbow flag on the uninhabited Coral Sea Islands territory off the coast of Australia and claimed it as an independent micronation for the gay community. Besides the rainbow flag, there are other flags that represent LGBTQ communities, like the transgender pride flag created by Monica Helms. Baker enjoyed a successful career as a vexillographer, or flag designer. By the time he died in 2017, he hadn't made a significant amount of money from creating the rainbow flag, and he never copyrighted the design because he wanted it to belong to everyone. He once said the following, The moment I knew that the flag was beyond my own personal experience, that it wasn't just something I was making, but was something that was happening, was the 1993 March on Washington. From my home in San Francisco, I watched the march on C-SPAN and saw hundreds of thousands of people carrying and waving rainbow flags on a scale I'd never imagined. The flag lives on as a ubiquitous and internationally recognized symbol of LGBTQ pride. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. And if you have any comments or suggestions, feel free to send them our way. We're at TDIHC Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also hit us up via email. We're at thisday at iheartmedia.com. And a special shout out today to Alexis and to Chandler, the super producers on this show, who, as always, continue to do amazing work. Bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.